Welcome to Central Assembly's podcast. Here's a message from our lead pastor, Kurt Jenkins. We pray this message speaks to you. As you, if you were here last week, you know, Sharice, she did an excellent job pulling multiple pieces of Mark chapter one together, how they all related with family. Now, I never thought about Jesus and John the Baptist growing up as cousins and having fun, you know, as young kids and so on. But it's neat to approach things from a fresh way. So when you're reading through uh, each chapter, that's why we encourage you read through this several times. Like even if, if you're used to reading uh, every day, which we want you to be in your word every day, I would challenge you read through that chapter those seven days leading up to the next Sunday. You're going to see something different every time. If you're not just rushing through it to get through the verses, if you're asking the Lord, show me something new, then he'll highlight certain things. He'll highlight a new verse. He'll stop you. Even going through Mark chapter two, the Lord taught me uh, some new things that I don't think I ever realized before because I thought I knew the story of the friends bringing the paralyzed man. I've heard it. I remember back in um, elementary school with the felt boards. So students, we used to have these really, these things called felt boards. We would stick them on. We didn't have the screens to look at. But I remember, uh, I still remember the four guys holding and it was like attached to ropes and they were looking down and Jesus was looking up and you stuck the, you know, the, the different people on there. But even reading it again this week, he just showed me fresh things. So read it, slow down, let the Lord highlight new things. I think you'll be really impressed with what the Lord uh, wants to show you. So going through Mark chapter two, I wanna uh, share, I, I really think three things that are highlighted here that really come together in the end. And these three areas are pressing in, reaching out and preparing for something new. I feel like all three of these are present in this chapter. I'm not trying to get through all of the verses though we will read through a majority of this chapter, but I feel like they all tie together between pressing in, reaching out and preparing for something new. Sharice mentioned it in the introduction online to chapter one, and I'm sure you've seen it if you're reading along with us. Mark is like a no-nonsense book. It's action-packed. There's no genealogies, no long introductions. He gets right to it. And then you'll watch as you'll just see one miracle to another, it's just, or a teaching of a kingdom principle back to a miracle, back to a parable. And it just it goes like that through the entire uh, book. I love it because it keeps you, keeps you waiting and expecting uh, to see Jesus do something else that's amazing and the kingdom truths that are in there. But within this specific chapter, what I'm gonna do is actually start at the, toward the end of the chapter in Mark chapter two, verse 21 and 22. Then we're actually going to finish with these verses as well. So Jesus is teaching and he says, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into an old wineskin. Otherwise, the wine would burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins would be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskin. So obviously, I think you would know the comparison with the cloth. If there was, you know, let's take jeans, for example. If there was an old pair of jeans that would have been shrunk already, it would have gone through the washer or been washed by hand back in those days. So if you put a new piece of cloth that hasn't shrunk yet onto this and you, you sew it just right, once you start washing those things, the new cloth, the patch, would begin to shrink and it would pull away from the opening and make another hole probably even worse than the first one. One of the examples that we probably don't understand a lot are wineskins. I don't see many of you walking around with wineskins. This is an example of a wineskin. What would happen on wineskin? It would use animal skin 
then uh, it would be new animal skin and new wine would be poured into it. What would happen is the, the wine would ferment, which would release more gases, which would stretch the wine skin. After the wine skin was stretched, it would become brittle. It would no longer be flexible. So the wine would have to be drank from that. The reason why they drank wine as a normal beverage was not because they were alcoholics or because they were doing it to get drunk. It was because they had bad water. They did not have filtration back then. So that was their normal process. There's arguments by theologians that it was a lot weaker in alcoholic content by the way they prepared it back then. I'm not gonna get into that argument. I'm showing you the illustration. What Jesus is saying is this. If you have an old wineskin that's already been stretched and it's already brittle and you put something brand new into it, as that new, the examples given, as that new wine expands and gas are added to it, this wineskin would burst open. And now what happens is you don't have your old wineskin anymore, that broke, and the wine spills all over the floor, which means you have nothing to drink. So both are being wasted. What's he trying to say? He's saying his kingdom is the new wine. It's new ideas that have to be poured into new mindsets. He's saying a new idea can't be poured into an old mindset. The old mindset will burst. It will not be able to contain it. You'll get offended. You won't understand. You'll be confused and you'll miss what Jesus is saying. So he's saying, listen, You've had an old wine skin where the old wine was in it, but it's time to prepare for something new. I've brought my father's kingdom with me. I'm going to do things differently. I'm going to act differently. I'm going to operate and minister differently than the religious elite had in the past. So he's saying you have to have your mind ready for this. As your mindset changes, you'll repent. You'll begin to think differently. Your beliefs will change and then your behavior will change. Jesus was already showing them how he's doing things differently. And now he's forewarning them to to make sure that they are changing to be prepared for his kingdom. If you look through Mark chapter two alone, Jesus offends people. He amazes people. He confounds people. He confuses people. He surprises people. He disgusts people and he impresses people. Everything about Jesus's ministry was different. And he was warning us. He was telling us. He was saying to be prepared for this new wine, get a new wine skin ready. Amen? Amen. All right, so pressing in. We'll go through this uh, starting at chapter one of Mark two. Verse one of Mark chapter two. Again, this is just an amazing story uh, of this immediate breakthrough of this man who was paralyzed. It says, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. So he's preaching to this room that's just packed. Like even that, I want you to stop and think. You know, people went to the temple, the synagogues out of religious duty back then. They were following a law. It's not because the Pharisees and the teachers of the law had this dynamic teaching. It says they followed, even God says they followed them, all the laws to a T, but their hearts were very far from him. And now they have somebody that's teaching something with authority, with the power to back it up. And they crowd the place, even outside the house, they're peeking in because there's not enough room. It says in verse three, some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Now, I never saw this before. I always just pictured because the felt board in Sunday school told me there were four friends. 
But it says here, some men came bringing a paralyzed man carried by just four of them. So I never thought about that before is there could have been a group of eight, 10, 12 people with him. What we do know is this. There was a group of friends that was not going to just have sympathy on their friend and with their friend. They were going to take this friend to the solution. They were going to press in and press in and press in until they saw their miracle. I think it's amazing how you see this where there's just a group of people that are combining their faith together to see Jesus perform a miracle. I believe it still happens this way, guys. Even when Jesus sent out the disciples, how did he send them out? Two by two. He sent them out so their faith can be joined together. I believe this is still how Christian life should work, is that there shouldn't be a person by themselves suffering with nobody by by their side. But there could be people, just like my wife, my kids, the elders, or people that would call and text every single day to check up on me. There was a group of people and said, we're not going to let go of this until you are well. That's what we see in scripture. There's friends binding together. That's why we want you in a small group. That's why we want you serving somewhere so you know other people who can support you when you're down, you can support them when they are down. Amen? In verse four, it says, since they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd, They made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. Now, most roofs in those days had either a staircase or a ladder going up to it. So it wouldn't be like impossible. They didn't have to, uh, you know, mountain climb to get up there. And then most of the roofs were made of these lumber logs. And then in between them was dried mud or clay. So it wasn't impossible for them to walk on without crashing it in. They would know the logs to walk on. They would know how to dig in between that to then actually lower Jesus. And in verse five, it says this, when Jesus saw their faith, I love what he's saying here. Jesus saw their faith. He wasn't pointing out one person. He didn't put all the pressure on this one person to have the faith, but he actually saw their collective combined faith. He said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Again, your mind would get blown if you were in a situation like this and did not receive that there was a new kingdom at hand. They want, they want this man to be healed physically. He says, I see your faith, your sins are forgiven. Would you not be confused at that point? Like, what's he doing? Why is he forgiving their sins and not actually healing this man's disease or whatever made him paralyzed? But I love where it says there again, it's a collective faith that impressed Jesus. So what did they do? What did they do that demonstrated faith? I always pictured these men talking. Again, I knew the story. I heard it from Sunday school. I always pictured them having dialogue, actually saying something. Look at the instances in the gospels where this story is told. There's no evidence that they talked. I'm sure they talked. Well, I'm assuming they talked, but the writers of the gospels did not say that they said anything to demonstrate their faith. What they did is they pressed into Jesus until they got close enough to see their miracle. They had expectation. Now, what Sue said earlier lines up exactly with what is said here. A lot of times, it's not our words. We can talk a good game, but Jesus wants to see action. There's something being taken place. That's why he says, stand up, take your mat and go. Show, your pre- show the priest that you're well. Jesus gives a lot of commands that activates people's faith to say, I believe it enough that I'm healed. I'm going to start taking these steps this way. 
right? So they took the steps of digging through. They lowered it down, and Jesus knew because of their action, they had faith. They expected something to happen. So Jesus introduces a brand new aspect of the kingdom, that there's a man standing on the earth now that has the authority to forgive sins. In verse 6, it says, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Remember what Jesus said just a chapter earlier in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. The kingdom of God has come near. What do you have to do? Repent and believe the good news. What's the good news? That the kingdom has come. If there's not repentance and there's not a change of heart, there's not a change of mind, there's not a change of the way you think, then now Jesus has just offended you because he has, says, he has said your sins are forgiven. Right? So those Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they're sitting there. They're so offended that this blaspheming person is in this room. They're not going to be able to receive that miracle. Then you think, why would Jesus forgive sins first? And I was even asking myself, like looking back at this chapter, Jesus, why did you do it this way? I felt like he just reminded me because there's not a separate kingdom for healing as there is for forgiveness. It's one kingdom. And Jesus brought the fullness of the kingdom so we can experience both. He says in verse eight, immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, <clears throat> take your mat, and walk. But I tell you, to know that the Son of Man has authority on the earth to forgive sins. He said to them, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. So many people separate this. And it was even, I mean, it was just, I think, a few hundred years ago where people began to believe in instantaneous salvation, like instantaneous forgiveness. They used to actually teach this was like a process of once you believed it was several days and you had to come back and talk to the pastor and they would evaluate whether you were ready or not. And then comes along a movement where we actually believe, wait, no, right here and now I can be forgiven. I can ask the Lord in my heart. I don't have to go to a priest or a pastor. I can connect directly with God and receive forgiveness of sins. That same thing, that same revelation has come to the church and is continuing to grow, at least in America. It's been in other continents for years and years that you can be healed instantaneously, still now. That Jesus still gives us the power through the Holy Spirit for healing to come. So we, you know, we, we think it's like two separate doctrines. No, it's called the kingdom of God. The word salvation has been isolated to forgiveness of sins for so long that when we hear the word salvation, we forget that that word comes from an original word called sozo, which is forgiveness of sins, healing of body, deliverance, mental emotional deliverance. It's the full package. So I do believe we'll step into a day where people come forward at the altar for forgiveness of sins and they'll leave healed, they'll leave delivered, they'll leave filled with the Spirit. That's what Jesus offers us in his kingdom. I'm encouraged that we're growing in that area. There's many people in our church that believe Jesus still heals today through the power of the Holy Spirit, that he wants us well. And we're not going to be discouraged by our current reality. Right? Your body is not the Bible. So if I read my body and I'm still, I still perceive sickness or virus or pain, it's okay. It's not the Bible. The Bible says Jesus heals. God's my healer. Yeah. 
and it's a part of the kingdom of God. So I can go all the way back to Mark chapter one again and just reread it from a different context. You want healing in your body? Well, look at what Jesus said. The time has come for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. So maybe there's one area in your life you just need to change your way of thinking, right? Get, a, get excited enough to actually test something out if your body hurts. So you know what? I'm gonna change the way I think, God. I believe you can actually heal me right now. I believe you can actually take that guilt away from a mistake I made 30 years ago, whatever it is that the Lord's leading you in that you don't think is possible for God, believe it's possible in his kingdom. It's all one package, amen? So in Mark chapter two, verse 12, he says this, the man gets up, he takes his mat and he walks out in full view of all of them. Youth, what would you do there? Mine, blown. It says, this amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. What I love about this is the faith of these friends. There was, I think there was more than four, because it says that there were a group of them, and they were carried by four. So let's say five, six, seven men that had faith in a breakthrough. Their faith became a corporate faith that benefited everybody in that room. It says, everyone was amazed and says, we've never seen anything like this. And I started thinking about, you know, in some of the services that I've been a part of is why some people, I just get hit with the power of God in a public service or why do some miracles, some of these like crazy wild miracles happen only in public services. And I felt like the Lord just reminded me, corporate faith counts. Remember what he said, he saw their faith. So again, it's not, if you're feeling down and out about something, if you're sick, if you're discouraged, don't isolate yourself. Corporate faith counts. There were people that pushed their way into that house to hear a good teaching, wondering what in the world's happening. And because they were in the same room as those friends were who had the faith, they experienced the same miracle that their friends did. They saw a man who was paralyzed actually stand up off of his mat and be able to walk out praising God. I love that. So the faith of somebody else in this room can help with your breakthrough today. I don't need to go to church. I don't, I could do this myself. You know, there's nothing in here that says I have to be a member of a church. Corporate faith counts. We see it evidence right here. So this has been my prayer for the last four or five days since I read through this and decided what I wanted to speak on. I want us as a church body, but not just as a church body, but as individuals to be able to make that same phrase by the time we're done with Mark. I want to be able to say to the Lord, I have never seen anything like this before. Amen. I don't know if it's something that will happen in your own personal life, something that will happen in our service here, something that will happen out in the streets of Washington Estates, uh, in, in Honduras when they go, whatever it is. We're in Mark all the way through Easter. My prayer is that every individual and then corporately, we will be able to say, we have never seen anything like this before. Would you agree with me on that? Yeah. Pray that way. Pray like, God, like blow my mind. Stretch me to become a new wineskin for what you want to pour out. So at times, the supernatural results happen in the pressing in, in the pressing in of Jesus. And sometimes it actually happens in the reaching out. I want to talk about the reaching out for a few minutes. 
So what happens in this, in this uh, chapter is Jesus calls Levi, who we know as Matthew, to follow him. Levi was a tax collector. Tax collectors were not like. In fact, tax collectors were despised. They were known as being dishonest cheaters. They would skim some off the top for themselves. If they had needs, they would charge too much, and they were known as liars. In fact, I read about how the, how the rabbis of the day, the teachers of the law, would actually compare the Pharisees, who we now know were far from God, and tax collectors. And they would say, if you meet a Pharisee, this would be the most godly person that you could meet in the city. And if you would meet a tax collector, they would be the most ungodly people you would meet in the city. So this is how, this is just a, a, a glimpse of how people looked at tax collectors. What happens, Mark chapter two, verse 15, it says, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. Many of who? I looked, I looked up several resources and was praying about this. Of Who were the many? Were they talking about the disciples or was it looking back at the sinners? And if you follow this out properly, it's the sinners. Many sinners were already following Jesus. There was something that Jesus was perfect and holy and yet he was able to hang out with sinners. Like, I love this. He was able to eat dinner with sinners without making them feel like sinners. Completely opposite of what the most of the church does. We feel like we have to defend God so much that if somebody's caught in something that irritates us, we try to like prove them wrong and prove how holy we are and we make them feel like sinners. Right? So go ahead and try this one. Don't try this. Imagine this. <laughs> Kick somebody down and then offer your hand to help them up and see if they'll take your hand. That's what a lot of the church does. We're holier than you. We're better than you. We're following a Jesus and you're lost and you're dirty. You're just a rotten sinner. Jesus had a way about him that he could spend the most intimate times with sinners and not make them feel like sinners. So much so that they followed him. They wanted what? He had. So it says, when the teachers of the law and the Pharisees saw him again, they're an old wineskin, an old mindset. They saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors and they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? The New Living Translation says, why does he eat with such scum? That word sinner there does not mean that they're an evil person, that they've done all kinds of crimes. That word sinner in this language, in this context, means they were irreligious. They were non-religious. They didn't follow the rules and the regulations of the law. You know what that did? That irritated the Pharisees. It irritated the teachers of the law because they had no regard, especially like the, the food laws and all of these extra little things that they did. These people simply didn't follow it. So I was reading in one of my Bible, one of my study Bibles, and I learned that in those days, they looked at, the Pharisees, the Jewish people, looked at sharing a meal as entering into a covenant of friendship with one another. So this was not, you're hungry, I'm hungry, let's go to Chick-fil-A and have a meal. This was, if we are willing to sit down around the same table together, we're entering into a covenant. Remember, a covenant is something that's supposed to be unbreakable. A covenant of friendship with one another. I read about a story in that same Bible that two warriors that were fighting found out that their fathers had had a meal together and actually stopped fighting when they learned about that truth. So they took sharing meals together very seriously. So now put this in context. The Pharisees see Jesus 
sharing a meal with them. What do they think is happening? He is entering into a covenant of friendship with them, meaning he's disregarding their lifestyle, meaning he's accepting the way they live. That was appalling to them at that time. And Jesus didn't care. He didn't care about his reputation. He didn't care what people thought. He brought the kingdom and the kingdom included reaching out to people who are hurting so that they would receive salvation. Amen? So the Pharisees were looking through the lenses of covenant of friendship. It's interesting because Jesus was actually looking at, at that same meal through the eyes of covenant. It was a different covenant though. It was a covenant that one day would be represented by juice and by bread. It'd be one day that signified what he paid for with his body and his blood. I love that. Around a simple table, around a simple meal represented something so profound that one group of people are so offended, they're appalled that this man would spend time with it. And Jesus is saying, you just wait a few years from now, you'll understand what this actually means. You know, it might come to a surprise to some of you, but Jesus would spend time, less time at our church events and more time with meals around the table with addicts, with homosexuals, with people who have done horrible things in their lives, people who have made major mistakes. You know, he would spend time with atheists. He would spend time with Satanists, people that were completely lost. Jesus would choose to spend time with people who highly offend us. He would spend time with Republicans and Democrats. Like Jesus didn't come, Jesus didn't come to earth to come to special church services. He would have been out there being with people that probably are very unlike us. And we're called to represent him, right? We're called to be on the same mission that Jesus is, to represent Jesus, to represent Jesus as if he is here. So what did Jesus say in verse 17? On hearing this, Jesus says to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. He says in Luke 4, 18, what his mission is. It comes from the book of Isaiah. He said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery for the, of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So what's he doing? Good news to the poor, the poor in spirit, freedom to prisoners, recovery to the blind, freedom for the oppressed. He's saying, I am called to not hang out with all the people who think they have it together. In fact, the one group of people he rebuked were the church officials. The one group that made him mad enough to go home and make a whip and then come back and turn over tables were the ones who were in charge of the church at that time because they didn't think they needed God. They thought they had it all together. So he's like, I'm not coming here to be in another board meeting or to have a vote somewhere. I'm coming to find the people who know their need. I'm coming to find the oppressed, to find those who are in prison in their heart. And they're gonna, he's gonna set them free. That was his mission in life. And we have that opportunity to do the same thing. So yes, gathering with other believers for a corporate faith, to be encouraged, to spur one another on, it's absolutely important and needed. And yet we need to begin to spend more time with those who we would consider lost. 
the tax collectors of our society, the homeless, the addicted, the, the outcasts. Think about people just right here in your own community, the ones maybe that as you see them walking alongside of the road that you would laugh at them, snicker at them. Oh yeah, that's just that person. Oh yeah, this is the town drunk. Jesus would choose to spend time with them. Jesus would take them for a meal. He would form that covenant of friendship that would one day lead to a covenant in the kingdom of God. So when I think about this, maybe pressing in to Jesus will bring you to a point of saying to Jesus, we've never seen anything like this before. But maybe reaching out is the step that needs to happen to be able to say, I've never seen anything like this before. Maybe sharing a meal with a person who's far from Jesus, who openly disagrees with your belief system, who lives in such a way that is offensive to your heart. Maybe if you're already an acquaintance with them, asking them out to lunch to get to know them better, to add value to their life, maybe something will happen in that conversation that you'll be able to go home and actually feel more excited than the mundane, let's get up and go to work and go to bed and get up and go to work. Maybe you'll actually begin to start operating the way Jesus operated. And maybe the Lord will say, I can trust this person with something little, so now I can trust them with a lot. Think about Jesus's form of evangelism, folks. This is not scary. He went about his way as the Lord was leading him, and it's almost like unintentionally he would run into people, right? He didn't have like huge outreach campaigns. He didn't say, hey, we're gonna hope for 5,000 people to show up on the mountain this day, then we're gonna perform a food miracle. Doesn't it seem almost unintentional, yet the Lord set it all up for him? Are you with me? Just shake your head if you are. So if we would start to go about our day just by reaching out a little bit more than we usually do, maybe the Lord would start sending people. We think, wow, I don't even know how this person came into my path, but I'm gonna stop and talk to them. I'm gonna minister to them, find out if they have a need, add value to that need, ask the Lord to send a supernatural message, a word of knowledge, a prophetic word, something, and be willing to pray for them. Be willing to invite them to church. Be willing to minister to them however the Lord leads you to do. We're gonna give you an opportunity to do that in just a few minutes, but I wanna talk first about preparing for something new. It's in the pressing in and it's in the reaching out that actually helps our hearts prepare us for something new. So we're gonna go back to where we started, the beginning of this message. Mark chapter two, verse 22. Jesus says this, Adam, you guys can come up at this time. It says, no one pours new wine into an old wine skin. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins and both the wine and the wine skins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wine skins. So in, in my life, in my heart, and then just my heart for this church is I don't want to waste a new pouring out of his spirit. I don't want to be here and a month, a month goes by and then look back and then realize, oh my goodness, Lord, you've been, you've been ordaining these moments for me that I keep passing up because I didn't see it because I got too busy in my work schedule because we got too hectic and all these responsibilities that might not even matter a year from now. I want when the Lord begins to pour something new into your life, I want to have the wineskin. I want to have the container, the proper mindset to hold it. Which means this, we have to repent now 
and say, I'm willing, Lord, to think differently about my week, to think differently about how I go about my daily life so that you can put people into my life that need Jesus. The old mindset would be, I I have to get from point A to point B as quickly as possible. Please, nobody bother me when I'm at Walmart, right? Go to the shortest line and get out. Right? I don't, my anxiety rises when I'm, when I'm at Walmart. I just want to get in and get out. But what if we like, what if we, what if we etched out seven minutes of our time to say, I want in and out in 15, but I'm going to give seven extra minutes, Lord. Put someone in my path if you want to. And what if we just, this would be actually be a new wineskin, is actually slowing down your step in Walmart. Not rushing, but just saying, or wherever you go shop, I use Walmart as an example all the time. And just asking the Lord, would you put someone in my path? This was Jesus's form of evangelism. As he was on his way somewhere else, the lady presses in with the issue of blood. As he was on his way somewhere, the man says, my boy's about to die. As he was on his way, then he came upon the people who were blind. It was as he was going. And the people that were tough with him, that asked him questions to try to trap him, what did Jesus do? He would answer a question with another question. So go like this. <sighs> like, why did I just do that? Because you don't have to have all the answers. You know, Jesus did not answer the Pharisees when they were trying to back him into a corner. He didn't have all the answers. He asked another question that revealed the position of their heart, which then made them, put them into a place of either admitting, I have need, or I have way too much pride to admit that I have a need, and I'm going to walk away. So one of two things happens. Someone tries to challenge you, and you just ask questions back, well, what do you believe about that? How did you get to a point in your life of believing that there was no God? And you answer their question with a question, it will do one of two things. It'll soften their heart and say, wow, I really need to learn from this individual, or they'll want nothing to do with the conversation, and you still win because you obeyed the Holy Spirit. So that's what a new wineskin looks like. taking advantage of the opportunities the Lord's doing. I believe preparing a new wineskin starts with repentance. It's changing the way you think. It builds with expectation. Like digging a hole through a roof shows expectation. They really thought, like they really, really, really believed Jesus was going to heal them. There are a few different times over uh, this course of shingles that I had that, um, that I... I prayed, 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 and then I looked at where, you know, where, where my skin was affected, uh, thinking, it's going to be gone right now. It wasn't, but I wasn't disappointed about it. I was happy about those opportunities where your faith was built enough to say, I'm going to take action and actually do this. I'm going to like look and expect it really, really is going to happen. You know, they really thought when they brought that shovel or whatever they dug into that Jesus was going to move. That's expectation. Right? So preparing for something new, it starts with repentance, it builds with expectation, but it is solidified with action. It's solidified with us actually doing something Jesus would do. So one way that we are going to activate anybody in this church that feels, um, feels prepared to be activated in that is we're going to invest in you to not have an outreach project, but we're gonna invest in you to invite someone 
to lunch in these next week or two. Make it happen now so it doesn't, doesn't end. We're gonna do something unorthodox too. We have $120 bills. And if the Lord shares something on your heart, it's money that was set aside for personal evangelism. If the Lord sets somebody on your heart in these next few minutes as we close, there's gonna be four groups of people up here. You're gonna write your name down. You're gonna receive an info sheet that's just gonna help you give us feedback because you're gonna partner with us in this. We're actually gonna give you, we're gonna invest in evangelism in your life. That money that we're giving you is toward a meal. If you take it today and the meal doesn't work out, just turn the money back in. I actually believe that this might be the most powerful money that we ever invest in evangelism because we're putting it into the hands of the people to touch other people's lives that we don't know and that aren't walking into these doors for one reason or another. So this is, this is the opportunity is to ask the Lord, who's lost right now? Who has need? And how can I spend a meal? How can I enter into a covenant of friendship? Maybe not agreeing with where they are, but saying, I am going to press into Jesus and ask him, then I'm going to reach out to this person and I'm actually going to really, really believe that Jesus is going to show up in this moment. Does this make sense to you? There is not an expectation by any means that you force conversion upon that person. We're not saying at the end of the day, say, so if you die today, where are you gonna go, heaven or hell? Fly or fry, turn or burn, don't use those comments, okay? Have a conversation with them. I can call him my friend. My friend Murph Poland is with Jesus. When I first became a pastor here, Murph took me out to uh, lunch one day. It was either breakfast or lunch. And he held up a napkin and he shared how potentially hundreds of times over his 40 plus years at Campus Life, he led people to Jesus over a napkin. I was like, what in the world are you talking about when he first told me? And he used to draw the bridge illustration. He would sit, he would have a meal with somebody who was lost, most likely a teenager. He would write on one side, this is you. He would write on another side, draw another cliff and he'd put God and he'd put the word sin in the middle. He'd say, sin is what is separating you from God. He would draw a cross that would go across the cavern, the, the gap, the hole. He would say, Jesus and the cross of Jesus is the only thing that will bridge you to God over your sin. It will cover your sin. Look at that, evangelism training in 45 seconds. Murph led countless people to Jesus because he gave Jesus time over lunch with a person who didn't know Jesus. And he used the method that he was comfortable with. Maybe Jesus will use your testimony, your story, maybe one specific story about how God saved you, maybe how God healed you, touched you, brought you out of a rough time. Maybe Jesus will use a napkin. Maybe Jesus will use a prophetic word or a word of knowledge, a gift of healing. Who knows? We'll never know if we don't actually do it and take somebody out to lunch, take somebody out to dinner. So these are the very simple steps you'll see up on the screen. And we're gonna go to the Lord in prayer for like a minute or two, then we'll have the people out here to close our service. So number one, we're gonna spend just a moment asking for a name. If you don't have a name by the end of this service, that's okay. If your heart is saying, be involved in this, we can call this the Murph Poland plan. If you know in your heart you wanna be a part of it, then we wanna invest in the time that you're going to do for personal evangelism. 
and make it happen. Make the call this week. Number two, very simple, invite them. Invite them. Say, hey, the Lord impressed it upon my heart to give you a call. Or, you don't want to be re- sound religious, I wanted to give you a call. Your name popped into my head. That would be a true statement. I want to get to know you more. I just want to catch up. Maybe it's someone from high school. Who knows? Three, pray for an opportunity. So before you go, press in and ask Jesus. Say, Lord, I'm putting myself out there. I'm nervous that I don't have all these scriptures memorized. What if they ask me a question that I don't know about? What if they did it? No. Ask the Lord for an opportunity to minister. Number four is this. Focus on adding value. Please do not make a person your project. They will see that. I'm not asking you to do, they're not your project. Because guess what? If they receive Jesus, you win and now you're done with them. If they don't receive Jesus, you lose and then you're done with them. That's dumb. They're not your project. People are not our project. You actually care about them enough to invite them into knowing you more and you knowing them more, right? So you find out a need that they have, add value to it. Their life is going great, good. Ask the Lord to give you a prophetic word of how to speak into their life of where it's going and add value to it. To say, God, how can I add value in this conversation? You're not gonna force a decision. This might be the start of a beautiful friendship with somebody who looks so different than you, believing that one day they'll come to Christ. And the fifth is to offer ministry. We're not investing real money into your meal to just go and have a meal and a conversation. We want you to say, even at the end of the, of the meal, is there any way I can pray for you? Why don't you come to church with me next week? Offer some type of valid ministry to them. If they accept, you win. If they decline, guess what? You still win because you obeyed the Lord. Does this make sense? We're just going to sit for a moment and then we're going to stand in just a moment to sing and we'll have our people get in place then. Just begin to ask the Lord, Lord, is there someone you would like me to take out for a meal in the next week or two? Thanks for listening. For more information, check us out at centralconnect.org.